Good morning. morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. Um, For those of you who don't know me, kind of went a little long in my teaching in the first service, so I'm going to get right to it. So I'm going to give you the quick version. I had two cups of caffeine and two pieces of cake before this service. And so uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Before we get into it, though, this, this weekend is our second anniversary as a Green Creek Church. Did the math, that means 104 times our setup crew, our amazing setup crew, has transformed this daycare into what you see before your eyes. Um, so 104 times, and, and uh, they love it, and I love them. And, and there's actually a surprise for our teardown crew after the second service. Uh, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details with that, but Mr. Bobby Zavala um, has uh, done some homemade fajitas. And um, the guy knows how to grill. So uh, enough said. Help us tear down, and you will get some good grub. That's a good recruiting plan, isn't it? (laughs) We should have started that two years ago. Our setup team's like, yep. Uh, But this is our second anniversary, and this week I've done a lot of reflection. And uh, I think part of one of of the things that... that, um, is important as a pastor, as just as, as people, as parents, as husbands and wives. We need to spend some time reflecting. We spend so much time trying to rush and rush and go ahead and plan ahead and uh, be in the moment and do, take care of the now and the urgent and, and all of that. But I think we need to take time and reflect. And this week was was good for that because two years um, is important. And um, it doesn't mean we have the right to get prideful. But uh, I was just amazed at how much God has let me be a part of in the last two years and how many lives we've seen changed and, and how many uh, relationships we've seen God uh, just absolutely do incredible things with and just the, the miracles that we've seen God do. And, and um, it's, it's been an amazing thing and, and all of that in the context of uh, two years. And I'm so looking forward to many more. Um, this isn't going to be our terrible two-phase, by the way. Um, Abby, my, my youngest daughter, said, no, it's our terrific twos. And so let's make it terrific. But, you know, one of the things that, that I'm a part of is a couple church planning cohorts and spend time with other church planners. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of information, information, but over 80% of church starts fail in the first two years. And uh, so I, I'm not prideful at all. I'm very humbled that God has allowed the creek to, to be going for two years, and my hope is that we keep going. Um, I want to give you some, some great years. I want to be your pastor for a long time, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do. And, uh, but I asked myself a lot of questions this week about ministry and about looking back, and, and um, honestly, uh, spent a lot of good time reflecting. And today's teaching is going to be called Questions. And these are questions that you're going to have to think about and ponder and reflect in your life. Um, Because as a pastor, a lot of times you look to me to give you answers, uh, help you with faith and and answer questions for you, get you down the road and uh, keep going. And honestly, today is not going to be like that. I, I, I can't answer some of these things for you. You're going to have to do it. This is also a message that and a teaching that you're going to have to kind of step away from. You won't be able to answer all of these questions, especially as we get towards the end today. This is going to cause you to have to go into some reflection time and and soul searching, really, and looking deep within yourself. 
I, I can look deep in with, within myself. I can ask questions, and I can try to discover things, but I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I get scared about what I'm going to see because I, I know me. I know me better than you know me, and I know where all the dark spots are, and I know where all the, all the skeletons are, and so I get a little worried that when I start asking reflective questions and God to reveal my heart to me, I get scared. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you to ask those questions. Let God bring that to the surface so it can be dealt with. And uh, uh, let me also say this. When you ask questions, don't stop at just seeking answers. Answers is just going to be the informative side to get the question to go away. What I want to challenge you and encourage you to do is seek revelation. Revelation, in, especially in matters of faith, is God revealing more of himself to you. And then what I also want to challenge you to do is ask God to reveal more of yourself to you. And it's that self-awareness. And, and that's where a lot of transformation starts to happen because we're willing to deal with things openly and honestly. Now, when we go into this, this is a safe place. It's nothing but us in here. And uh, so we'll be honest. We're gonna, we, we, we call it like it is. And um, so if you're, if you're new to the creek, I mean, the one thing that we really try to, to be open with is our sins and wins. And uh, so our team on Mondays, we share the wins and we share with what we're struggling with. And uh, we think that open, honest, and, and transparent way is, is the best way for us to be. It's a lot less energy expended um, than trying to cover ourselves up. So uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to study verse 1 through 4 today. And I'm telling you that because we get an hour to study four verses. Because you're the second service. There's no time limit on me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, it's our anniversary. And, and a lot of you have said happy anniversary to me. And, and I'm going to say it right back because it's all of us, by the way. Um, it takes all of us to be a part of the family. I mean, otherwise it would just be me by myself. And so it's us. And I love that God has brought us all together um, for such a time as this. And he has great purpose for us. He has great plans for us. And uh, there's a lot of ministry to do. And there's a lot of that that's going to be coming out in the next a couple weeks and a couple months. But uh, chapter 3 is an interesting piece. These first four verses are, are pivotal for the rest of the letter. Colossians is a letter written to a church in the town of Colossae. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. He spends the first part of this letter really pounding the gospel. This is who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. This is how we were alienated from God. Here's how we were reconciled to God, and that's good news. This is all about the gospel. This is the person, the work, and the deity of Jesus. And he pounds it over and over and over. And then now in these four verses, he's going to shift, and he's going to transition into the application of the first part. And so the, these four verses tie the first part of the book with the last part of the book or the first part of the letter with the last part of the letter. The important thing is that we get this transition. If we miss this transition, then we will start to think that the behaviors and the way this applies to our life in the second half of the letter is what justifies us before God, and we would be wrong. The only way we are justified before God, justified is this. If you want a way to remember this, think of it, justified just as if I'd never sinned. I used to teach my youth that. If you want to know what justified before Christ and before God means, it means he looks at us and we're justified. He looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. And the only way that we can be 
made right before God and justified and holy before God is through Christ, is through the cross of Christ. It's the resurrected Savior, Jesus. Nothing we can do can bring that about. And if we miss this transition, we're going to look at the behaviors that Paul's going to say, if, if you've been transformed, then live life this way. We'll miss the transition. We'll go, this is how I have to live life. We're going to fall on, uh, into the rules, and we're going to think that living this life is what makes us right before God, and we'd be backwards. You tracking with that? So we've got to get it right. There, there, there is an order here. We have to get Jesus before we can live a life that's holy. We can't fake it until we make it. And so this is critical. We start to think that cleaning up our life will somehow make God love us. And God is a perfect parent. He's not a, he's not a, a, a psycho parent that says, when you behave right, then I'll love you. Know this, God loved you, period. I don't need to give any quality. God loves you. And I hope you collide with that this morning. So uh, chapter 3. Uh, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Let me qualify that. Paul's saying, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Some translations say, if you have been raised with Christ. So that lends us into the first question. Have you been raised with Christ? Well, let's kind of let's understand this a little bit. Paul is writing this letter to a church. He's writing it to people who have put their faith and hope in Jesus. Just the people sitting there hearing this letter. Let me explain to you what would happen. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He would pen this out and he would give it to someone and they would hand deliver it to Colossae. And they would go through and gather the people in the church and they'll go, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul. Let's all get together and let's read this. And so they're all going to gather around and they're going to have a public reading of this letter. Well, just because somebody shows up and hears this letter being read does not mean that they have been raised with Christ. Let me put it to you in context to today. Just because we're sitting in this room hearing this letter does not mean we are justified or raised with Christ. He is talking to the people who have put their faith and their hope in the cross of Christ and made that decision to live their life for him. And so he's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, to those who are justified. Now, if you're wondering, how, what, how do I know? Because that question, have I been raised with Christ? Let me give you a couple qualifying questions that I think kind of will help hone you in uh, it's their yes or no. Don't answer them out loud, please. No show of hands. These are reflection, reflection things. And so uh, you, you need to be able to be solid on these. These are what we call closed-handed questions. You know, the first one is, do you believe you're a sinner and have rebelled against God? I know most preachers will preach the message and do all this at the end. I want to get it out of the way so we can get into the growth aspect of it. But do you believe you're a sinner and rebelled against God? If you answer no, you have not been raised with Christ. I'm not trying to be hardcore or, or be, you know, anything that is going to be hard on you. But the answer is no. And the reason is, if you say there's no sin or trespass in you, the Bible calls you a liar. First John, it says, the truth is not in you. Better translated, the truth is not in you is you're lying. It'd be like me saying to my daughter, my child, the truth is not in thee. And she'd go, dad, I don't know what you're saying. I'm like, you're lying to me, kid. Come clean. Do you believe uh, that Jesus is God in the flesh? 
and was sent as a sacrifice for our sin, that he is God in the flesh. He's fully man, fully God. Do you believe that Jesus was born at, born at Christmas time, lived a perfect life, was crucified at Easter, was killed at Easter, Good Friday, placed in a tomb, and on Easter was resurrected? Do you believe that he died for you, that, that he was the sacrifice for your sin? And did you believe, do you believe that he rose again? And then here's one that we, a lot of, a lot of people struggle with on this one. Do you believe that you get his righteousness in return for your sin? I mean, there's some people I talk to and they're like, you know, pastor, I, I believe that he's God. I believe that he was born at Christmas. I believe he died on, on Good Friday. I believe he rose on Easter. I, I believe that he paid for my sin, but you just have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea how dark my life has been. You don't have any idea. No, I don't. But let me tell you something, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he said, I know, I can see the depths of your soul and I know how dark you are and I still choose to die for you. And in that process, I take your sin and you get my righteousness. That's good news. That he's willing to take my messed up, broken life and say, but you're righteous. Righteousness, here's, the, I'll go back to the youth thing. Righteousness is right standing with God which means he looks at me as though I've never sinned and I'm right standing with him. And he says, I've made that happen through the cross. That's what makes you justified. Not living by a set of rules, not adhering to a religion, but a relationship with the Jesus who is the yes to these questions. Who is the perfect sacrifice? Who is the righteousness of God who imparted that on us through the cross? That's the way we're justified. That's the only way. And then Paul's saying to the justified, I'm saying this to you. I am, if you have been raised with Christ, there's going to be some instructions to follow. Paul loves teaching people about maturity. Paul is funny in this respect because he would get so frustrated with people about maturity. Paul constantly would preach the gospel to people who already knew the gospel. He'd be like, but, but grow up in it, mature in it. He would get so frustrated when you read some of his letters, like, I, I can't even talk to you about this. I could just imagine he's animated while he's writing a letter. He's pinning it out. and He's like, I, I, I can't even talk to you about this. We'll, we'll talk about this another time. Paul was wanted to lead people in maturity. Maturity is a sanctification process. I know I'm giving you some church words, but they're good to have in your vocabulary because if you ever go visit a church, you can drop these and they'll probably give you your own choir robe or something like that. But like, oh man, you dropped justification, sanctification in the opening sentence, you know. I think we've got an associate pastor at position that you can sit on. I better stop. Uh, but you've got to have the justification before sanctification, which means you've got to be born before you can mature. I mean, we are born, and then there's a maturity that happens. Some adults don't make it to the, the emotional maturity, but there's a process of growth. You have to be born to grow. And so we, we've got to understand that we need the reconciliation to even get on the path to maturity with, with Christ. And then here's some other questions. I, I don't think, you know... These questions, I don't would say, would lend to your justification or your 
being saved, but these questions would lend to the maturity process and where you are in that process. The danger is comparing yourself to other Christians. Don't do that. You look at the process. Where were you when you started? Where are you now? And so some of these questions, do you, do you have a genuine affection for God? Not just some emotive response that you think back to youth camp when you sang just as I am for about 108 times until somebody went down front and got saved and you felt the goosebumps. But do you have a genuine affection for God? Do you love the things he loves? Are you willing, uh, let me ask you this, are you pursuing God and his will for your life? Not just sitting around going, I'm waiting for God to tell me what his will for my life is. Are you pursuing that? And a mark of maturity in that is, God, I am willing to submit to your will for my life regardless of how difficult it is. I think a lot of us want to submit our lives into a will of God if it means we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. You know, I, I, to, to God, I want to submit my life to you, but I know you're going to take care of, of letting me have a nice house. And God, I'm going to submit my life to you because you're going to make my kids conform to the way I want them to live. God, I'm going to submit my life to you because my wife is going to think I'm just the best thing that ever happened to her. And, and I think God's laughing. <laughs> because look at Paul. Paul fully surrendered and submitted his life to the will of God. And he ended up in prison. You've heard me say this, and I'll, I'll stand on this, that even if the gospel, even if Jesus messes your life up, it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And Paul's in prison saying... I'm in prison for the gospel. I'm in prison for living the nature and the character of God. Do what I did. There's no success story in that. You won't see that on the top 10 best-selling New York list of, you know, top number one way. I'm sick of all the seven steps, five steps, three steps. Here's one step to success. Follow Jesus and end up in prison. No, thank you but I still think it's the best thing that could ever happen to us. And that's the gospel, is that our brokenness for righteousness. And are you willing to live the will of God even if it means walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, no, I want to, I want to lie down in green pastures. You didn't say anything about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You didn't talk anything about the dark nights of the soul where, where I, I, I'm in just agony spiritually. I want, I want the good promises where God promises to give me an increase. I want God obligated to me. It doesn't work that way. And that's, that's how you can get into that uh, question. Um, if you've been raised with Christ, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, let me stop there. The next question, I think, is, is not just have you been raised with Christ, but where's your heart set? Where's your mind set? Because Paul's just, he's given us clear instruction. He's saying, okay, the earthly things, don't think on these. Set your hearts and set your minds on Christ who is above all things. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
See, the good news is he died for us. He was resurrected for 40 days. He walked on the earth. He made himself visible to people in those 40 days, by the way. And then he was ascended into heaven and he took his place at the right hand of the Father. And Paul's saying, set your mind on that. Don't settle for less. We've got to understand that that our goal and our pursuit is Jesus. We We tend to pursue our things and let Jesus be the motivating fuel to get to that. For example... We, we want to submit to Jesus and look to Jesus to help us to get what we want. Because we think Jesus can get the bucket out of the well quicker than we can. We think that Jesus, we, we start to pursue uh, reconciliation in our marriage, financial security, the house, health. And I'm just saying things because I know in our, in, in our community, and our community is indicative of the community we live in, that there are marriages that are broken. There's health that's broken. There's finances that are broken. That, you, you just go down the list. There's kids that, that are in a broken relationship with their parents, and parents in broken relationships with their kids. There's kids at schools making decisions that are affecting the rest of their lives negatively because they're so desperate for attention. You go down the list. You name it. It's a fill-in-the-blank there. But we pursue... That, and we want Jesus to fix that. And when we do that, we're betraying ourselves. Now, does that mean we don't pray for God to fix our marriages and our finances and our job situations and our kids? Absolutely, we should be praying for that. And, and if God, in his will, decides to fix that, then praise God. But if God decides not to do it, we have no right to get angry with God. And so our goal and our pursuit is Jesus. Let me, let me read this to you. This is just, uh, I'm going to go back to chapter 1. And I'm not going to comment on this. I'm going to read this. This is our goal and our pursuit. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's our goal. That's our pursuit. If the other stuff comes, great. If it doesn't, great. We look to Jesus, not earthly things. Because you guys have enough life under your belt to know that those things fail. That those things are fleeting. They're temporary. And so we, Paul is saying, look to Jesus. So what does this look like? What, how do, okay, let's get practical for a minute. 
Because, yeah, sometimes I do get caught up in, in pursuing health and, and my kids and my marriage, and I start looking to that, and that's where my worry gets focused. So how do I pull the reins up? How do I lift the nose of the plane up and focus back on God? If, if that's where I'm supposed to be focusing, how do I do it? And I, I think it gets into some disciplines in our life. It gets into our quiet time. Do you have a quiet time? Do you have a time where you are going to get alone and you're going to read Scripture and, and, and write about it, journal about it? Some of us read the, the Bible like a newspaper. It's an article, and I just I want to get the information and get through it. Scripture is not to be read like an article. It's, it's one that you've got to let your life kind of move into. And then it moves into your life. And, and your life begins to rub with Scripture, and you start to kind of put this into, what does this mean? What does this feel like? What does this look like to be in, in, in my life? And then we start to live that out. What does your personal worship look like? Now, I don't mean coming in this room and, and, and you listening to me preach at you or teach scripture um, and, and take notes and, and go, that, man, that's great. What does your personal worship look like? What does it look like tomorrow when you're on your way to work or at work? What does it look like on Tuesday? If you look to me to be your only source, here's what happened. I could be calling down fire from heaven today. And you think, this is man, that's the best message I've ever heard. It took two years to get there, but that's the best message I ever heard. And that'll fire you up until tomorrow. And let's say you come in next week looking for me to do the same thing, and next week I'm just, I just I'm terrible. My jokes are stupid. I can't pull a thought together. I'm disorganized. And you think, Matt, you really let me down. Now I'm failing spiritually because you couldn't deliver. I'm out. I'm going to the church with the choir robes. I'm dropping sanctification there. <laughs> it's a process in your daily life. There's personal aspects to it. I also think there's community to it. It's us getting together and talking about this scripture. You know, we, we, we do Bible studies so that we can do this from a communal aspect and approach scripture and get around people who are wrestling with life and get around people who have questions of faith and questions of scripture. And, and it's so great to sit down and talk about this. And they're like, you, you, you've got questions in this too? Yeah, me too. Let's do this. And, and you have somebody because you're, now you're not going at it alone. So there's this communal aspect to it. And I think these things need to be a part of our life for our minds and our hearts to be set on Jesus. And then some, some key questions to answer is, what, what stirs your affections for Christ? Right now, this time of year, man, the sunsets are amazing. They are beautiful. That, that stirs my affections to Christ because I see that, and I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm so finite and small, and the God of the universe can put this together and make it work. And Facebook lets me know that. And I see the sunset from 250 different perspectives. It stirs my affections to Christ. What is it for you? Is it a song? Is it the mountains? Is it the ocean? What stirs your affections to Christ? 
I'm going to confess something, and I've got to explain it before you really think I'm demented. Um, Funerals stir my affection to Christ. And I'm not saying go die on me, because I'm not asking for a funeral to do, but (laughs) let let me explain. Funerals are a chance for me to walk with a family through a dark time, and for God to allow me to be in the midst of suffering so that his comfort and peace can work through me. And I love letting God work through me. But how a funeral stirs my affections to Christ is it's a visible, hard reminder of how finite we are. And that eventually we do return to the earth. And that it all, that someday the box gets closed And there will be a gathering of people to talk about our life. And and I sit with families and and talk about um, their loved one. And and we do a service. And and let me say this as your pastor. Live your life in a way so that when I preach your funeral, I don't have to lie about you. Um, Because then I've got to repent after your funeral. Say, God, you know, I'm just trying to lighten the mood. Because some of you, I I know death really scares you. But for me, it stirs my affections because uh, at one point in my life, I know that it will end. None of us are guaranteed 75 years. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so it stirs my affections because there's something bigger than me that created me, that loved me enough to say, you know what, That's, you, you were dead in your sin. And I loved you enough to resurrect you, to raise you with Christ. And it stirs my affections because one day it will be me in that box. And Heather can do with whatever she wants, man. I told her, pine box and throw me in the river at dawn on a bed of roses. It's all good. But one day it all goes back in the box. And I will see my Savior face to face. That who Paul just said, in him the fullness of deity dwells. That all things are created by him and for him. And that I was alienated and have been reconciled by his death on the cross. Will see me face to face. And my fullness in him will be complete. That stirs my affection for him. Because I understand life is temporal. It's a vapor. But there's something that goes on so much deeper and longer than I do. And it will take me an eternity to get to know my Savior. Uh, On the flip side, what robs your affections for Christ? What gets in the way? What hinders those affections? And, and, And I can't take you to a verse on some of these and say these are morally wrong or these are evil things that you let get in your way or I let get in my way. Uh... And rob me of my affections. Most of the things, honestly, that get in my life that rob me of my affections of Christ are neutral things like TV, Facebook, these games my daughter keeps downloading to my phone. And, and I just, I want to check out what my daughter's into. And three hours later, I'm going, I got to put this down. Some, some game, I don't know, drawing with friends or something. If you have it, great for you. Please do not send me an invitation. I love you, but I have to work. You want to hear a message next week. We got to make it. We don't need to go to the next year. We got to make it a week, okay? And that game will zap my time. 
But what are the things that rob you of your affections? Most of them are neutral things. And start to identify what those are. Um, because I, 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 I know I fail at that often. That I let things get in my way. And I'll say it's busyness. But honestly, it's laziness. And I start to beat myself up because I find myself less and less stirred affectionately for Christ. And I love what Paul says here in verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, what Paul's doing is he's reminding me of the gospel here. He's saying, set your sights on Jesus. Look to Jesus, not these other things. But, but when you stumble, Matt, remember this, that you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That the gospel covers this. That it is God alone who justifies you, Matt, through Christ and not how well you follow. Too many times we start beating ourselves up because we're not good followers. And we forget that we are justified by Christ alone. And it brings me back to the gospel. This is why Paul constantly preaches the gospel to people who know the gospel. Because we start to get bogged down with the good news. But there's got to be something else. No. No, there's got to be something else. No. You can't be serious. There's got to be something else that's... No. Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone. It's not how well you can do this. It is Jesus. It is the grace. Remember the questions, are you justified? Do you believe you have sin in your life that you've rebelled against God? Do you believe Jesus is God, that he died for you, that he rose for you? Yes, I believe that. Then you are justified. It's not how well you walk this out. That's where this transition is pivotal because we will read this and think, I can't walk that out. I can't do it. I can't be a 100% perfect. No, you can't. That's the good news. Not that we can continue to screw up, but that we have a perfect Savior. And he calls us back to the gospel over and over and over. Maturity is this, and in, in, in Christian maturity, it's not if, it's when we stumble and fall. We run to God, and as a result, there's deeper worship involved. Now, immaturity is when we stumble, we fall, we run away from God, we try to fix ourselves until we think we've got it fixed and then run back to God. What a broken system that is. It's like when everything is going great, that's when we'll be around God, but when we struggle the most is when we run from God. And I've seen that in, in, in church, that life hits and there's a struggle going on and instead of pressing into your family and pressing into God, pulling away. And, and shame becomes something that just the enemy just beats you up with and you, you, you just say, I, 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 can't, I can't go to church. That's backwards to me. When we're hurting and the enemy is beating us up, the only place I can think that I need to go is to God. And when I stumble and fall, it drives me back to God. That's, that's a mark of maturity. And Paul's saying that's the gospel. We press into him when we're doing well. We press into him when we're struggling. We press 
into God. We set our sights on. If you're caught in that cycle, my prayer is that you just collide with God's love. Not, not, not your definition of God's love, but I pray that you collide with God's love this morning because that's going to break a lot of that crust off of that. And then some real healing is going to, going to start to happen. And then let's finish up with this, uh, this last verse. This is a scary yet good verse. Um, and the question that I want you to ask is not just have you been raised with Christ, where's your mindset, where's your heart set, but is Christ your life? You know, it, it, is, is there a seriousness in your pursuit of Christ? Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, this is a scary yet beautiful verse, depending on where you're at. And this isn't me setting up the message to start talking about fire and brimstone and hell and try to scare the hell out of you and then have a big altar call. That's not the way we roll here. We're going to preach the truth. Here's the truth of this, is that, that the world will come to an end. And, and there will be people that play these games where they uh, kill each other. And they're going to be put on television show. I've seen Hunger Games this week. Um, so yeah, it was post-apocalyptic, by the way. But there will come a day that, that, that God says, okay, my patience has run out and everything's going to be revealed. It's time. And, and the Bible depicts that day to be a very scary day for most of humanity. Uh, it says that men will cry out for mountains to fall on them, to hide them, and it will not happen. Everything will be exposed. That men will cry out for death and it will not come. It is going to be exposed. Every evil deed, every good deed, every deed, everything will be exposed. Now, when your life who is in Christ and is hidden in Christ, the good news is on that day, we're going to want somebody to stand in the gap. That when I get called to account of every thought, reaction, every behavior, whether I did it or not, if it went through my mind, I'm guilty of it, it's going to get called to account. And in my shame and trying to figure out how do I get out of this, somebody's going to step in and go, oh yeah, that I paid for that. I paid for that one. Yeah, I, 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 I took the wrath for that one right there. I, that one's mine. And then they're going to go, you know what? You know, here, 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 let me just save you a lot of time. This is Matt. This is the cross of Christ. And I paid for that in full. And on that day, that is a scary day for a lot of humanity. I have a champion to stand in the gap for me. To me, that elevates the seriousness of following God and pursuing God. Not just am I justified, but am I living a life that really is worthy of the sacrifice paid for me? Because I can't live a life worthy of the sacrifice paid for me. But am I willing to pursue it with everything I've got? So that not only when he stands in the gap for me, but there are people with me that he's used me to reach out to. And they're going to go, hey, 
Matt, you told me about Jesus. Is he going to stand in and he's going to go, you know what? I'm standing in the gap for them because they believe I'm the son of God. They believe I died for them. They believe that when everything is laid bare, I've paid for it all. And so the question then becomes is, if you're serious about your pursuit and following God, what does that look like in your life? And that's not a question you can just answer right off the cuff. That's going to take some soul searching. That's going to take some depth of prayer and some time with God to say, God, you have created me with a purpose. You have saved me for a purpose. And if I am justified and bought by your blood, what is it you want me to do? And what does it look like in my life? You see, I'm absolutely blessed to get to live the life I get to live. I love our church. I love my job. But all of us in this room, God has a purpose for you. And that's better than anything we can imagine on our own. And so what does it look like? How does it look like it's lived out? My challenge to you is don't just walk away from this teaching today and say, yeah, that, that, I needed to hear that. That was good. But invest the time and the energy going, what does it look like? If you need help, there are people around here that, that love to help you. Because that means we get to walk it with you. I put our team on the hook because we're willing to walk with you. But what does it look like? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and uh, uh, just absorb in your grace and your love. And I just pray for those that needed that reminder this morning or even that first realization that you love them and that nothing can separate us from your love, no height, nor depth, nowhere. Nothing can separate us from your love. I pray that you just wash us with your love. Just break down years of a, a, a maybe an abusive system and help us just to feel your love. And Father, I just pray that none of this is an emotional decision. But I pray that there was truly uh, life happening today, that your Holy Spirit was, was really speaking to people's hearts and using my voice box or whatever means that you decide to use God to, to say, hey, I love you. And I died for you. And I stood in the gap for you thousands of years ago. I will stand in the gap for you now. And I will stand in the gap for you on that day when I return. Father, keep us from being spoiled children that abuse grace to continue living the life we want to live and help us to mature. Help us to live the life you've called us to live and you've created us to live so that everything in our life whatever we do we do it all to the glory of God we do it to the glory of the one who stood in the gap for us 
We do it to the glory of the one who is the fullness of God. We do it to the glory of the one who created all things. We do it for the glory of the one who reconciled us through his death on the cross. Father, help us to quit playing any games and just get honest with who we are. I pray that that not just right now in this moment where we're focused, but this week, all throughout this week, just bring reminders of ourselves to us. Bring reminders of you to us. Stir our affections, God. Show us. Show us your glory. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in the name that is above every name. That name that is the fullness of deity. That is the fullness of God. That is the creator of all things. That is the reconciler of all things. In that name.